Well, good morning. Uh, Today we are going to finish up our brief uh, two-week sermon series from the opening chapter of the Apostle Peter in his first letter. Uh, We as a church, if you were with us, recently finished the Gospel of Mark together. And next week, uh, in our first Sunday in Lent, we're starting a new series on the spiritual disciplines. But we thought in these two weeks between Mark and the Lenten series, we wanted to take some time to look at a letter from one of Jesus' closest followers and to see how the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus greatly affected one of the disciples that we followed along with in our study in Mark. This whole letter of 1 Peter, which I would encourage you this week to take time to read it all. It's not that long. It is a a great letter based on God's divine plan for life and hope and salvation is found in Christ and Christ alone. Last week, Pastor Aaron led us through the first half of this chapter, and this morning we are going to finish off the chapter together. So I'm going to read for us from 1 Peter Chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. You can follow along in your Bible or order or just listen as I read. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flowers of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Let me pray for us as we begin. Father, it is the good news that is uh, what we hold on to. The truth that none of us are worthy of your love, and yet you offer it to us. You offer it to us freely by the work of your son, Jesus. And I pray that we all will remind ourselves of that truth as we hear from your servant, Peter, and as we reflect upon what it means to be a follower of you in our lives. In your name, amen. Well, when I was in high school, one of my friends, and was actually a youth leader at my church, uh, was moving away. And he called me and he said, I would like to get together with you before I move. And I was touched and honored that in the busy schedule that he had moving away, he was going to spend time with me. So he came over one night, and we just sat around, and we laughed and told stories and just hung out. And it was not only a great time for me, but I felt moved and special that he wanted to spend time with me. Well, at the end of the night, as he was leaving, he turned to me and said, Oh, by the way, I want to give you something before I leave. And he handed me a cassette tape. And he said, I'd love for you to listen to this, and I'll call you in a couple days and see what you think. I was like, No problem. Okay. The tape that my friend gave me was about a chance for me to invest and make a lot of money. 
The tape that my friend gave me was a promise of an easy way to get rich. The tape that my friend gave me was a pyramid scheme. I was sad when I realized this. It made me question the whole night together. I wondered, you know, was he being nice to me just to try to sell me something? I was hurt because I thought, it seems like he didn't really want me. He wanted me to make him money. He acted like a friend, but he felt like a salesman. And it felt a little bit like a bait and switch for me. Well, I share that story with you because as I looked at this passage this week and prepared for this sermon, compared especially to last week's passage, it kind of feels a little like a bait and switch. I mean, last week's passage was all about hope and God's mercy for us. It was about a passage of giving an un, getting an unfading inheritance from God more precious than gold. Our passage last week began with these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What a beautiful passage to grab hold of and believe. First Peter begins with such great promises and hope, which was the title of Pastor Aaron's sermon last week, Hope. And our passage today begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, what is our response to this amazing hope? What is our takeaway from the good news that Peter gives us in the beginning of his letter? Well, because of the work of Jesus, our passage says that we are to be prepared and sober. We are to be holy and fear God. We are to have our souls purified by obedience to the truth. Because of all that God has done, we are called to holiness. Hence the title of my sermon. And so it kind of feels a little like a bait and switch. Now I know it is not, and hopefully we'll see that at the end of this sermon. But let's be honest. For some of us, when it comes to God and our faith, we feel let down like I felt with my friend, and maybe a little like a bait and switch. Some of you have turned to God and looked to Jesus for salvation, and instead of having joy and peace and hope, your life is full of pain and struggles and disappointment. Some of you maybe have turned to God to feel better, to give you something to live for, maybe to make you a better person. And yet you're frustrated with passages like today that talk about obedience and holiness. You're frustrated because when you think about holiness, you think about that holier-than-thou, condescending, self-righteous person in your life that you want nothing to do with. And some of you are maybe like me when it comes to feeling a bait-and-switch in passages like this. You see, when I was growing up, especially after high school, I was a pretty good kid. I kept the rules quite well. I liked keeping the rules. I wasn't perfect, but I was better than most, at least in my mind. And a call to holiness, a call to obedience was fine by me because I thought it would get me to God. I really was willing to keep the rules as long as it got me acceptance by God and made me feel better than the other people around me. And it often did. The bait and switch for me was when I realized we don't obey to get to God. The bait and switch for me was when we realized that we don't do religion to get a relationship with God. It's the other way around. Because we have a relationship with God, 
we can respond with obedience. Because we have been given hope from God, we can respond with holiness. You see, our passage today is a call to ethics and obedience. It's a call to holiness. But we are not called to be holy to get to God, but because God has already gotten to us. Our passage today, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, a good reminder of who we are as God's children and how we've been redeemed from darkness and sin in order to live lives pleasing to God. So our two-week sermon series is rightfully entitled Hope and Holiness. Because it's in the hope that we have in Christ that allows us to boldly live and strive for holiness. We aren't holy in hopes of getting hope, but we have been given hope to move us to holiness. So what I want to do this morning is briefly walk through our passage together and see the ways that we are to conduct ourselves because of all that God has done for us. And so the first call found in the first verse is a call for us to set our hope fully on the grace that will come when Jesus returns. Our first call, command in this passage, is to believe the good news that Christ is going to return. Our command, or the command given to us, is to fix our gaze on the coming glory of Christ's return. This is where our hope must lie. And hope in Scripture is not an attitude to cultivate, but rather a reality to accept. It's not an attitude to cultivate, it's a reality to be accepted. Peter is challenging his readers in this letter, including our section here, to say that we cannot and should not place our confidence on the things society trains us to place our hope in. Our job, our reputation, our finances, our family, our identity, and so on. Peter really wants us to maintain a loose grip on this world and instead hold tightly to the promise of the world to come. Peter knows the truth that our minds and our lives are so easily intoxicated with so many other things than God and holiness. So he calls us to prepare our minds for action and to be sober in our thinking. This idea of preparing our minds for action literally is girding up the loins Of our mind, which means girding up the loins was tucking in your robe into your belt so you could get to work. A more modern day uh, understanding of this would be like rolling up your sleeves and getting to work. You see, the way that we need to set our hope on the future is not just in wishful thinking or this longing for heaven and not really having anything to do with this earth, nor is it this optimism that everything is going to be okay in our lives. The calling of hope and fixing our gaze is an intentional effort and a mental resolve to live for God and his promise for future hope. But how do we do this? I mean, in a world that just continually presses us to hope in things of this earth, how do we have our hope in God and the future? What does this practically look like for you and me? Well, one way, I think, and it's a huge way for us to roll up our sleeves and resolve to wait on our future, is what we are doing right now. Worship is what we are made for, and it is what we need. I love how worship is described in the back of our order of worship each week. It says in that section about worship that ordering our lives together around worship strengthens our appetites, 
our imaginations, and our abilities to live as followers of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. It is good that you are here this morning. It is good that we gather together and remind ourselves of the hope of Jesus and his return. It is a worthwhile effort to come to church. And we are grateful you are here. As we gather together each week, we grow in our appetite and our ability to live for God. As we gather together each week, we are reminded we are not alone in this quest. And as we gather together, we are strengthened by God through his word, through the Lord's Supper, through confessing our sins and hearing the assurance of grace. The bottom line is when we worship together corporately, we are being reminded of what we were made to be. God has loved us, God has redeemed us, and God has called us to holiness if we are a follower of him. When we worship, we are reminding ourselves that we worship a holy God. And because we are his children, brought into a special relationship with him, verse 15 tells us to be holy in all our conduct. This is the second command of obedience we find in our passage. We are called to be holy. Now often when we think about holiness, we think about just being good or being perfect or being right. When we say the phrase, like I said earlier in the sermon, holier than thou, what comes to mind? We probably think of a person who keeps all the rules. Someone who is better than others. Maybe someone who is a goody two-shoes. But in scripture, holiness means to be set apart. To be set apart or devoted to God. Peter quotes a passage from the Old Covenant that you could read in Leviticus 19 here in our section. And that section in Leviticus is God calling his people to be separated or holy from the nations around them. And this same calling is given to us today. We are called to be different than the world around us. Children of God are set free by God himself for God himself. God sets us up as his very own. He frees us from ourselves and our sin and our darkness. We hear in our passage the wonderful truth that we have been ransomed. We have been set free from the feudal ways of our forefathers. We are freed from our sinful ways and our former ignorance by the precious blood of Jesus. None of us in this room caused this freedom to happen. None of us in this room deserve this freedom. And none of us have what it takes to get this freedom on our own. It costs too much. It costs the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins. And we have a privilege. We have a privilege to know that he did this to set us apart for himself. And our response to this freedom we have been given is a call to holiness. It's a call to be free to do what we were made to do. Holiness is much more than keeping the rules. Holiness is an attitude of the heart in which you look at God and you say, Use me. I'm yours. You have set me apart as your child. Use me for what I was made to be. Peter says, be holy in all your conduct, which means the call of holiness is a pattern that transforms every day and every moment and every thought and every action. That means how you treat people, even in person or on social media, matters. This means that what you do with your body when it comes to sex and purity matters. 
This means what you do with your money, how you spend it or give it away, matters. This means what you do with your time, when and where you serve others, matters. It matters deeply for you and your life as a follower of Jesus. So, you know, when we as a church call you to serve, when you hear about the needs to serve in our community or in our city or in our world, whether it be through an announcement, whether it be in the back of the order of worship, whether it be the email that we send out, when we call you to serve and volunteer, it's not just because we have needs here, though we do, and we need you to step up. But we call you to serve not for ourselves, but for your sake. A follower of Jesus is one who serves. You have been set apart by God. He has gifted you and equipped you to do works of service to build up the body of Christ. So we're going to keep asking you to serve, not just because we have needs, but because it is good for you to serve. And we appreciate the many of you that serve our community. You know, when we as a church call you to give of your money to this church, when we highlight our financial needs as a church, it's not just because we're behind in our budget, though we are. We ask you to give your money away because it is good for you to give your money away. It is good for you to give to the church. It's hard. It's a discipline that I don't always like and I don't always feel comfortable with, but it is good that we give our money to the church and to the poor and to God's kingdom work. Because when we give, whether it be our time or our money or our gifts and abilities, it's showing that we believe we are not our own. When we give, it helps us to remember it is not all about us. Independence, autonomy, freedom to do whatever we want whenever we want is not a value of a follower of Jesus. The Apostle Paul makes it quite plain in his letter to the Corinthian church. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. We are not our own, and our commitment to God is is a commitment to follow him together and love and serve others. When God chooses us, when God redeems us, when God frees us from our sin, the wonderful thing is we're not only given a relationship with God that we desire and need, but we are given a relationship with others as well. If you're in this room this morning, you've experienced the cleansing work of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins, you have been brought into a family. And you are not only encouraged to love one another, you are commanded to love. We heard it in our gospel reading this morning, and we hear it here in 1 Peter as the last call to obedience we're going to look at today. Peter writes, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Obedience to the truth is not just some intellectual assent to doctrine. Obedience to the truth is not just having head knowledge about God and theology. Obedience to the truth must lead to transformation in how we love and care for one another. Peter wants his church what we desire here at Covenant. We desire you and I to be fully committed to loving one another, where intimacy and deep-felt heart love is on display here in our church. We want earnest love here, and we are commanded to love this way. But here's the truth of the reality. So many of us are masters of the casual conversation. 
So many of us are masters at deflecting questions about who we really are. Many of us are masters at avoiding others and especially getting deep with one another. Look, I am a huge extrovert, and I struggle with this thing all the time. I'm afraid to be known, and it's hard to know others. It is easy to mask my fears with casual conversations that never get deep. It is hard to be known, it's hard to be open and honest, and many of us have tried in the past, and we've opened up ourselves to others, and we've been let down and disappointed, and we have vowed never to do that again. Many of us perhaps just don't want to put the time in because we're so busy. Many of us are content with not being known by anyone in this room. Many of us are satisfied with just the casual relationships we have. Well, I have to tell you, even if we are satisfied with it, God is not satisfied with it. You see, God calls and commands us to love one another earnestly. And so we desire as a church to continue to grow in these ways of loving each other and caring for one another. And one of the ways we do this as a community is through our small group ministry. And I am thankful that there are over 180 of you involved in small groups here at this church. That is awesome. I know it takes a lot of work for these groups. It takes time and effort and discipline. I know that it's often hard to be in a group because you're so busy and tired and the people in the group might not be those that you would normally hang out with. And that's the beauty and the messiness of the church, that we are called to be a family, not just a group of friends. And I know that it takes time and effort, but I want to encourage you. It's worth it. Keep striving to get deeper in your relationships with one another. Our desire is these communities aren't just Bible studies or times to gather together, but they are intentional communities where we develop meaningful friendship to help each other walk in the ways that we are called to walk in our relationship with God. If you are not in a group presently, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to try to connect you to a group so you can begin to love and serve one another and be loved and served by others. Listen, you cannot follow Jesus by yourself. It doesn't work. If you are a believer, you are a part of the family of God, and it is good for you to be committed to one another and to grow together in this. So please talk to me so I can help you get connected to our church and our body. All right, so going back to the story that I told at the beginning. I have to admit that even though I felt like my friend's conversation with me was a little bait and switch, I was like 17 or 18 years old, so I thought, man, if I can make easy money, I need to follow through on this. So I went to what I can only describe as this massive pep rally where they tried to get us to sign up to join this, this uh, sales plan. <laughs> And I still remember the conversation with my friends afterwards with the event, and we were talking about how rich we were going to be in a few years. Now, this might surprise you, but I never made any money off of that. In fact, this great plan that we had faded away. The dreams of making it rich withered away, and we stopped talking about it within a few months. Our passage today ends with these words. All flesh is like grass. And it's glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Brothers and sisters, many of our plans that we have in this life will fail. 
including plans to obey and be holy before God on our own. If we try to do it on our own, we will fail miserably. Many of our longings and the dreams that we have are going to fall away because we live in a broken world where the hopes that we have might not come through until Christ returns and make things right. Many of the things that we cling for, for hope and satisfaction, will let us down. But the message of truth, the message of the gospel, is that it's not just God's word that we look at each week that will never fail. But it is the word himself, Jesus, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us that will never fall away. The word of the Lord Jesus remains forever. Everything that we are called to do in this passage depends on that truth and that truth alone. We have been given new life. We have been given new birth. We have been given new hope by the living word of God, Jesus. And it is that hope that motivates us and challenges us and encourages us to strive to live for God in holiness. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and for your truth and for your life. Father, we thank you for the hope that you offer us that is far greater than any hope we can in this world have. And I pray that we will rest in that and not in our own glory and hope, but in you and your glory and the hope you offer. In your holy name, amen.